Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is right across from Winkies. And we're now able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida, which is a great thing because it's winter here and <laughs> and summer there. And you can certainly go to ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is David Barnett, and he is the owner of the David Barnett Gallery, which is downtown. And one of the wonderful things for me about moving downtown is I literally can see his gallery right from my windows. Could be standing outside waving to him, but I get to walk over there and look at the different types of art that he has. And over the years, I've gotten to know David, and it's always exciting because his gallery is just filled with a multiple multitude of different types of artists and different type of mediums and I've I've always enjoyed going there and in recent years as I myself have begun collecting some art I've had the opportunity to walk over there and just talk to David about um, art and art collecting and it's come up on several of our occasions about talking about our clients who have art and have accumulated art and are wondering how to pass art down to their children and the importance of that and often it's just how do I you know who do I talk to about the piece of art to know what I have and so I have um, gotten to know David he's wonderful I trust him completely with the things that that um, for myself as well as for our clients and I thought what a great Great idea to bring David on to talk about how he got started because it's a fascinating story that starts at the age of five and how he got into collecting. He's also an artist and works in all different kinds of mediums and has done a fantastic job of collecting as well. And so my guest today is David Barnett and he is located right downtown on State Street and David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. It's a this pleasure is, to be here. This is so much fun because we've talked about doing it, and it just it's just worked out perfect. And um, I guess let's start with your gallery, which is absolutely so beautiful and such a, a great building, and how you got started and the history behind David Barnett. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so I started uh, thinking of myself as an artist from the time I was in kindergarten at um, Lake Bluff Grade School in Shorewood. And I was very blessed to have uh, Sylvia Spacuza as my art teacher from kindergarten through sixth grade. And her father, Francesco, was a prominent painter in Milwaukee. And uh, so Sylvia really uh, mentored me and encouraged me as an artist. And so I got mostly a right brain, so I'm all (laughs) visual. So that's kind of got me started. And... um, uh, when I was uh, six years old, there was an ad in the Milwaukee Journal Sunday comic strip section, and it send, said, send one dollar for um, 200 foreign postage stamps. And I asked my parents if they'd give me a dollar, and they did, and that was my first art collection, starting in a, <laughs> in a big way for only a dollar. 
So um, in those days, um, postage stamps were were um, actually engraved rather than done digitally. So they were, in a sense, little engrave, miniature engravings. So that's, um, and I still have the collection, and it's been added on too, and then so on and so forth. <laughs> so, yeah. And then from there, I know you've told me the story about how you decided on your own to start collecting art, and we're actually creating art, and your parents were behind you all the way. Yes, um, when I was 16, the family textile mill closed down, Barnett Woolen Mills, and so that was supposed to be my business, but um, they made army blankets during World War II, and it was, you know, obviously anybody creating for the war effort, they're producing a lot. But um, so by the, by the late 50s, that business was kind of finished. So I was really fortunate in a way because I got to choose what I wanted to do, although I would have selected that. But uh, so when I was a fine art and art history student at UWM, uh, when I was 19, I decided to open a gallery. And that was 1966. So there were really very few opportunities for um, any artist, let alone young artists and graduate students at the time. So um, my working capital was $186, (laughs) and so I thought I had a business model, but I really didn't. Uh, My idea was to show the young graduate students works from the local colleges and universities. So I did that for three years, and I took works on consignment. My first sale was $2 for a piece of pottery by UWM graduate student. I still have the invoice, too. (laughs) And uh, so... But then um, after three years, um, I decided that um, I was going to have to change my business model or have something that would be working better. So um, I borrowed $4,000 from my father, and I went to New York. That was 1968, and for a whopping $250, I could buy an original Picasso etching signed and numbered in a limited edition Miro, original color lithographs by Miro were $100 back then. Salvador Dali signed Dali's original etchings, $50, and so on. So, um, interestingly enough, the Picasso, the first Picasso I ever sold, uh, the the people that bought it from me passed away, but one of their children brought it in, and um, so now I'm reselling it for them. And um, over the course of all these years, almost 50 years, it's um, now it's twelve thousand five hundred from two hundred fifty. <laughs> so of course, starting out without any money, really, I was fortunate that I was able to take the basement, uh, what was tenant storage locker space at the Patrician Apartments on the Marquette campus at Twenty First and Wisconsin Avenue, and I remodeled that myself. I never had any experience doing that, so. That was an experience in itself. but uh, So I was um, over on the Marquette campus for 19 years, but I used to drive past the Button Mansion on the corner of Prospect and State for years and years and um, wishing and dreaming that someday that would be the gallery. It was just a masterpiece of architecture. And the architect was the preeminent Wisconsin Victorian architect, Edward Townsend Mix. And um, so... 
I was able to buy that house um, with no money down in um, 1985. I had to go to two different banks to get the money. <laughs> um, one bank said, well, we'll give you a mortgage, but you need 20% down. So I called my accountant. I said, well, I don't have $100,000 lying around. What am I going to do? I have to have the house. They said, well, here's some bankers that I know. Give them a call. Long story short, I was able to borrow 100000 from one bank on a 90-day note. So I said to the banker, I said, I'm an artist trying to be a businessman. You know, how do you expect me to pay that back in 90 days? He said, well, don't worry. We'll renew the note for another 90. (laughs) And I said, well, still, six months, you know. Don't worry, David. We'll keep renewing the note. So that's what I did. I took the 100000 and took it to to the other bank, and they gave me a mortgage. And I think I paid off the mortgage about... 15 years ago but so the house cost me $490,000 at the time yeah 10,000 square feet and and it's 26 beautiful. rooms oh it's uh goodness. and I'm the seventh owner and it's it's really a pleasure to have it open to the public people can come in for free it kind of looks like a museum but um but there are wall cards on each artwork and with the price so yes but um so people come in from all over the world and um it's a pleasure. So, David, with your um, with your location right now, and uh, the art that you collect, you started collecting at age sixteen. And when did you know that this was going to be a lucrative business for you, and that you were actually not going to just be able to pay it off, but to do your own personal art, which is absolutely exquisite, and it's, it's scattered throughout your whole gallery. But you have just amazing pieces that are in there that are just breathtaking. Thank you so much. So um, uh, after the first trip to New York in 1968, then um, a year later, um, when I was 20, I started going to Paris and London and uh, traveling around Europe um, buying art. And uh, the first trip I made to Paris, clients in Milwaukee said, oh, you're going to Paris, can you buy me this or that? So one of the clients in Milwaukee said, well, we'd like to get a Bernard Buffet. And so I said, okay, I will do that for you. And they were $50 and bring it back and sell it for 100 And uh, But I was thinking to myself at the time, well, Bernard Buffet, he's an important French artist, but he's not really the, my favorite artist. And I, and I really wouldn't buy it for myself. So long story short, I come back to Milwaukee from Paris. The people came in, and they looked at it, and they said, you know, we really don't like it. We changed <laughs> our mind. Do we have to buy it? And I said, um, absolutely not, not if you don't want it. And I was quite relieved because he wasn't my favorite artist anyway. So I showed him a Chagall for $850, and they bought that instead. So they kind of traded up, and I. <laughs> but I learned my lesson very early. I decided from that point on, um, if somebody wanted an artist and it wasn't an artist that I was interested in myself, I would send them to another gallery, whoever had represented that artist. And so I, when I, uh, so the six thousand artworks that I have now that I've purchased over the years, are only artworks that I love myself and I want to own myself. So. My philosophy is I can keep it for myself if if nobody else buys it I can enjoy it and that way I don't I n- never f- felt 
that I made a mistake in buying anything because I can always enjoy, enjoy it for myself. That's wonderful. David, let's take a break. And when we come back, you had talked about enjoying artwork and keeping it for yourself. And a lot of times my clients have artwork that they enjoy and their kids look at it and they don't maybe so enjoy it, but they don't really know what to do with it. So clients often have inherited pieces or they've bought a piece and they're like, is this worth something? Um, Let's just talk about that whole realm of owning artwork and how to approach it and how to think about it. With that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. My guest today is David Barnett, and he is the owner and artist also with the David Barnett Gallery, which is at 1024 East State Street, um, Prospect Avenue. And as I said, I can wave to him from my building to his building and walk over there all the time. It's just a wonderful part of Milwaukee. And David, in our first um, in our first uh, few minutes, we were talking about how you got started and how you started to build the gallery. And you'd mentioned towards the end that one of the things is that you love everything that's in your gallery. And so you can keep it or you can sell it, but you never have any regrets around that. And I, I think that when I talk to a lot of clients who have collected art over the years, they'll say, well, you know, one of my children loves all my art. The other two don't like any of it, and they would rather have cash. Or um, I bought this a long time ago, but I really don't know what it's worth. And how how should people approach art? I mean, you obviously know that it's an investment in your in your gallery, and that you'll sell some of it and profit from it. But how do individuals look at it? Do they look at it in terms of I'm hoping to buy it as an investment, and it will double, and then I'll sell it? And then if that's the case and they pass away, how do their children deal with that? Just on that one scenario, if they're looking at it that way. Sure. So um, as far as um, acquiring art, uh, there's many different reasons that people do buy art. I mean, some people do consider it uh, another form of investing. And so it's really a a personal choice for people. Um, Others uh, say, well... If it's um, a value over X number of dollars, then it's an investment. And if it's under X number of dollars, then it's just 100% because I purely enjoy it. So that's up to the individual based on their own finances and their own thoughts about uh, acquiring things, how they feel about that. But and, and art's a very personal thing. So you mentioned the idea that when um, uh, one generation inherits things from the next... Um, every so they walk into the house and there's all this artwork on the walls. <laughs> right. I mean, so, so some children say, I want it all. <laughs> Others say, I don't want anything. And then uh, there's everything in between. So um, everybody's brains are wired differently and we all look through our own eyes based on our own past experiences. So everybody sees things in a different way. So, But as far as passing th- things um, on through the next generation... Um, uh, what I always recommend is getting an appraisal done so that you can make an informed decision. And um, I became a member of the Appraisers Association of America in 1975. 
And so um, every few years, in order to keep my top certification, which is um, Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice Certification, we have to take, like in, in any professional field, you have to take it courses to keep keep up with things. And uh, so at this point, I'm one of approximately 2,000 personal property appraisers in the whole United States that has that certification. So, for example, let's say you have a client that has a valuable um, work of art and they want to donate it to a nonprofit institution or a museum. The Internal Revenue Service is going to look at that, the appraiser's certifications, and they're going to want to be sure that the USPAP is um, is on the uh, list of the appraiser's qualifications. And again, they're going to be also looking at keeping track of what you paid for it initially <clears throat> to see if there's a capital gain. Right. And because there will be a cost to the capital gain, just sure. like anything else, if it was real estate sure. or stocks. Yeah, you're right. Um, now... I admit I didn't do very well in accounting in college. I only did well in two classes, art and economics. <laughs> so um, so ask your advisors, your financial yes. advisors when it well, comes to... Well, and upon death, you know, everything gets a step up in basis, which is including art and on the first death in Wisconsin. So I think it really does make sense for people to contact someone like you to, to at least have an idea of what the value is. And, you know, we always talk about client meetings and family meetings to see what kids are interested in. Because I know when I was downsizing and I was looking at all my china, which was very expensive, and I was looking at all my silver and all the things I had. I mean, all three of my kids said, if it doesn't go in the dishwasher or the microwave, I don't want it, (laughs) you know. And here I was thinking, oh, I've got this great investment in silver. Well, not so much. And so they said, Mom, why don't you sell it? And uh, and I think in many cases, artwork is like that, too, because our kids have different homes and different lifestyles, and sometimes things fit in and sometimes they don't. But it's hard to sell something that you know was really personal to your parents. Right, yeah. So um, in terms of the process, uh, I always recommend having an appraisal done so that you have a point of departure to make an informed decision. So in in terms of appraisals, uh, there's many different types of appraisals. So, for example, you can have an appraisal done for insurance purposes, which would be the highest valuation. And the definition that we use for that is current market replacement cost in a retail gallery. Um, If um, the owners would decide they want to sell the work of art, then we would do appraisal fair market value for resale. Uh, if they want to d- donate it to a charity, nonprofit, then we do an appraisal fair market value for purposes of donation. We've also done appraisals for family division of property um, if they decide they're going to distribute it amongst their kids. So um, many types of appraisals. Which and what about a divorce? I mean, divorce is, an, is another type of appraisal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you look at artwork, um, what might make it depreciate or be worth less or what might make it worth more? And I sometimes I think if, if an artist passes away, there's more value on the art, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So that's a very interesting question. Um, there's really n- no exact 
um, pattern or standard of of what happens. It's um, the art market is can be quite fickle. So um, things like you just mentioned with before with um, with crystal or china or, or silver, um, because the um, lifestyles have changed from generation to generation, so there isn't as much demand. So the prices are down for things like that, and um, and then the, the other um, question that that you raised in terms of what happens um, when an artist dies, it's um, sort of like the stock market. If I'm I'm not I'm treading on thin <laughs> ice here, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, markets um, anticipate what's what's going to happen. So when an artist um, gets up in age. Um, oftentimes the market um, escalates in value, but then once they pass away, it just kind of stays there because it's already the markets have, have mm-hmm. already gone up. But um, but there's no there's really no right or wrong way to be collecting art. It's a it's a personal thing, really. I often um, I look at our I buy the things that I really like. I I really do and. Um, often my kids will look at it and say, Julie, actually, when I bought a, a piece back from Europe, she said, Mom, I want that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then other things, you know, they don't have as much interest in. And I wonder if we could talk about when we come back as to how you actually do the appraisal and what some of the things are based on. And sure. Um, I was talking to someone just recently that knows that they're going to inherit quite a bit of artwork. And um, in in many ways, it was sort of scary to them. It's like, is it really worth anything? You know, Grandma said it's worth this, but is it really worth that? And so with that, my guest today is David Barnett. He has an absolutely exquisite gallery on 1024 East State Street. And there is also a show going on right now called The Dance of Life Out of Africa and Beyond. And that's January 18th to April 20th. And we certainly do the, it's just, it's beautiful to walk around there and the lake is right there. So do stop in and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense and Karen, Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you would like to hear this taping that we're doing with my guest today, David Barnett, who is the artist and owner of David Barnett Gallery, please, um, Go to ellenbecker.com, and you can go to radio shows, and there will be Money Sense, and David's uh, tape of his show will be there, and easy for you to send it on to someone else that might be an art collector or into art or talking over a glass of wine about art and not knowing what to do with something. Um, David is a great guy to to talk to and extremely informative as as he was saying in the very first segment that he his interest was uh, started at age six and he has sort of uh, uh, I want to say danced through the life of artwork and you now have the dance of life that is going to um, that's at your gallery right now that people can stop in and look at and that's from January 18th to April 20th if you wanted to call David you can do that by going to 414-271-5058 and later on we'll talk Talk about some of the other types of services that they have as well. But David, in in terms of 
a client that I was talking to recently that's going to be inheriting some artwork. One of the things that I have noticed that I have often felt very blessed to buy something for a very reasonable price and come home and only to find out that my framing was, (laughs) you know, $500 to frame it or something. And, uh, but framing makes such a big, beautiful difference. And I think a lot of times when people look at a picture, sometimes it maybe looks faded or worn and you really don't know or it's dirty and you don't know if you can wash it or wipe it with something and then you kind of look at it and say I wonder if I framed it if it would look different how do you, how do you approach that with an individual maybe that's inherited some art and they just kind of are lost as to should they sell it should they keep it what might it look like what's the value of it should they insure it sure so we always recommend um being able to make an informed decision, and in order to do that, we always suggest that the clients um, uh, hire us to do a formal appraisal so that then they know what they're dealing with. So um, the whole idea of appraising anything, as we know, is based on comparables. So in other words, um, we the fees that we charge on an hourly basis for is to research the worldwide market and come up with comparables to the objects that we're valuing for the client. Um, Now, it's a conflict of interest to enter into an agreement to sell the artworks for a client if we're appraising them. But that said, um, we'll um, let the client know that up front and we'll do the appraisals and then after the appraisal is completed, we can consult with the clients and let them know what their different options are, um, whether they decide they want to keep the work, um, donate it, or whatever they decide to do. So, But um, um, oftentimes we'll do two appraisal types for a client, one for insurance purposes and, and the other fair market for resale. So if the client decides that they that they want to sell the work themselves, then they they have two different values, and they and we provide written appraisals, so the client can use that um, to deal intelligently with resolving their issues with the artwork. There's been a lot of um, news out of fraudulent pictures and and things like that. Do you run across that with artwork that comes in and you um, you don't know, I mean, maybe you don't even yourself know the artist, but you can see it's a quality piece or, or they say that it's an original and it's not an original? Yes, very good question. Um, there's, uh, especially with the internet, I mean, the art market has changed so dramatically over the years. Um, when um, in the 1600s, if you want to go back historically, um, when the first auctions were held, it was basically for the trade. It was the wholesale markets where dealers would um, freshen up their inventory by auctioning them off. Um, fast forward to um, post-World War II when um, wealth started getting um, to be accumulated and um, more and more people were buying art, investing in art, collecting art. Um, the auction houses uh, were developing 
their clientele, the dealers. But um, what would happen at the big auction houses, um, the the big dealers in New York or London or Paris, they would form syndicates, and then what they did was they would decide what pieces they were going to bid on um, and, div- and divvy it up so that they weren't competing with each other to try to hold the prices down. Well, once Sotheby's and Christie's and the other big auction houses caught on to that, then they decided to go after the galleries, um, the dealers' clientele. So it became kind of uh, <laughs> stressful for for everybody. But um, so and and then fast forward again to the internet. What you were just saying about the risk of forgeries. Well, first of all, when you're buying on the internet, you're you're really buying blindly. Um, there's really um, no guarantees to what you're getting. And um, so um, sometimes a little bit of information can be dangerous. So um, we've already had clients where if they do decide they want to buy on the Internet, they'll bring the work in to be um, reviewed by us, or pay us to, <clears throat> to do an evaluation. Um, but now the other question of um, value is authenticity and this is something that's extremely difficult today because of the high value of certain artists like Andy Warhol artists like that where the um, the artists um, uh, committees that represent the artists estates have been sued so often when you're looking at you know 45 million dollars for a painting um, somebody has a painting in their collection um, unfortunately there's can be more and more litigation so What's happened is um, the artist's estates, um, in many cases, are no longer doing authentications, which makes it even more um, dangerous for collectors. So um, so if people come in looking for an authentication, um, there is no dealer in the world that can be an expert. I mean, there's so many millions of artists. Um, but, I mean, we're experts in certain artists, and um, I'm comfortable with doing authentications for certain artists, but um, very few appraisers um, tackle that that job at all, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, when I was uh, 16, I went out on a date, and um, I was waiting for my date to get ready, and and the, the gal's father was a surgeon, and he said, son, come in and sit down in my study. I want to have a conversation with you. <laughs> So um, I wasn't sure what he wanted to talk about, but um, he said to me, to be a great surgeon, it takes 10% knowledge and intellect and 90% experience. And that was one of the most profound things I ever heard in my all of my education. <laughs> and so that's one of the reasons that I started my gallery at such an early age and why I started going back and forth to Europe and, and, uh, and, and uh, New York because I, I gained such a tremendous hands-on experience. So you have this beautiful art gallery and all of this artwork. What about your own plans and your own children? Have they followed your steps into the gallery and your wife? And well, Susan and I have uh, one, one child, uh, our daughter Sarah, who um, uh, is a civil engineer. She graduated from the University of Minnesota two and a half years ago, and she had uh, uh, one interview, and they hired her on the spot. 
So she loves Minneapolis, and she's been up there now. And um, so she specializes in um, water issues. So growing up on Beaver Lake as an (laughs) 11-year-old, she was testing the water for water clarity every week and would give a report (laughs) to to the Lake Association members. So she kind of... She kind of got, got into it at an early age. So does she love art? She loves art, too, but she's a millennial, and so um, like um, like most millennials, um, they have a different uh, viewpoint ab- about collecting. And um, so um, I said to Sarah, I said, well, just look at my website. There's thousands of artworks you can choose from. Would it take, you know, just send me an email and with whatever you want. You can have it, you know. So I get a, a text message back. Dad, I picked out three pieces. And I said, I sent her a message back. I said, that's it? Only three? <laughs> I've got 6,000 pieces. So she said, well, you know, we have a small apartment, and that's all we have room for. So once in a while, Sarah does artwork herself. Um, her cousin won uh, a racing championship on Pewaukee Lake, and she decided to, as a surprise for her cousin to do a, a painting from a photograph of him coming around and winning the race. So, so I was proud of the fact that she's using her left brain and her right brain. <laughs> Dipping her fingers into the family, into the family interests, into her dad's interests for sure. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about some of the artists and how you find artists and the Milwaukee artists that um, you have in the gallery and a little bit about the dance of life out of Africa that you've got going on. And my guest today is David Barnett, and he is located at 1024 East State Street in Prospect Avenue. You can also um, reach him at 271-5058. That's a 414. Or you can go to his website that he talked about at www.davidbarnettgallery.com. And we will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is David Barnett, who is an artist, and he also is the owner of the David Barnett Gallery on Prospect Avenue downtown, and we have been talking about art as it relates to inheritance and gifting, and I think the the first place where you always start is, like, what do you really have and what is it worth? And once you can figure that out, then you can move forward in deciding do you want to keep it? Do you want to donate it? Um, there are so many options, but it, it really is figuring out where you're at with what you have. David's gallery is just beautiful, and it's in just a magnificent building as well. And he's got paintings and drawings and ceramics and sculpture and watercolors and photography and glass. And so when you go in there, it's, I mean, it takes me hours besides I always stand and talk to David for a long time (laughs) (laughs) so it's like a day um, venture for me when I go over there but there are so many things um, 
to look at. And if you've got company coming in this summer, um, do make make a trip over to that area. There's also the Charles Alice Museum, and there's other there's several other beautiful things that you can do. We've got the Calatrava. So if you want to really um, visit Milwaukee and look at some galleries, boy, this is really right in the center of all of the happenings downtown. David, when you talk about this event that you have coming on your out of Africa, where do you get your artwork from, and do you sponsor a lot of Milwaukee artists, and how does that work? Sure. So um, when I started out, of course, having only $186 in working capital, I started taking artworks on consignment from the local artists. So um, um, 1966, there were so few opportunities for artists. So I decided to specialize in the graduate students from the local colleges and universities. So the very first exhibition I had was January 1967 for a UWM um, graduate, Joseph Rosman. And uh, Joe ended up uh, teaching most of his career at Mount Mary. But, um, but Joe uh, was a painter and printmaker, and he was actually doing very early eight millimeter films as well where he would make all the artworks and then animate them and they were really cool that was the first show that i had and joe had already won hundreds of um, juried exhibitions um, nationally and internationally and even as a student won the frank g logan award um, at the art institute of chicago and one of the most important Chicago collectors of surrealism bought bought the piece by Joe, and his collection is now at the, in the Art Institute of Chicago. And so it's a fascinating world, and it's really, for me, the creative process that drives me as an artist and as an art collector and wanting to help other artists. So um, when I started... Um, to make a profit, it took three years to do so. The first thing I started collecting was African art. And now why did I choose African art? Well, I just thought from an art historical perspective, it was a great thing to be buying because having limited capital, I wanted to be careful and try to buy things that were currently undervalued in the marketplace. And so because African art, in particular the Fang tribal mass from, from Nigeria, was a primary influence on Picasso, um, George Brock and Juan Gris, was the main influence in, in the development of Cubism, one of the most important art styles and movements in the 20th century. So now we have probably over 600 pieces of African art over the years. So the the current exhibition fe- uh, features some of the selections from my African collection from all over Western Africa. About 25 years ago, I also started buying stone sculptures from Zimbabwe, Africa. And um, that's a relatively new art movement in, in Africa. Um, the uh, Shona, the, the largest ethnic group in in uh, Zimbabwe, the, the Shona people, which represents about 20% of their population there, um, um, they believe in the spirit of their ancestral bird that carries 
they're from one generation into the next. So it's kind of a, it's a fascinating culture, and so it's all it's both educational and just very exciting from an aesthetic standpoint as well. Do you? Um, one of the things that stands out is you saying that you had such a great teacher when you were young. And how do parents support and help kids get involved in art using that left side of their brain and really um, become one of the the possibility of coming up with some new creative art that really reflects who they are and the time? Where, where we are as a country. Yes, well, of course, what you're saying is really <laughs> astute because the the best artwork reflects the time out of which it's produced. So so I always recommend, uh, you can, there's classes at UWM, there's classes at the Milwaukee Art Museum, at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design, and so on. So um, I always recommend that if um, if uh, 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 parents have a child that has a special interest in the visual arts to that, and also to take them around to museums and the galleries and get that um, exposure and, and experience to see a lot of different things. It's wonderful that you can take a trip in time to really reflect where your interests began and how over over all these years you have continued your own artwork as well as um, encouraging other artists and looking at the UWM students and encouraging them. I mean, that's just it's just a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story for Milwaukee to know and to be proud that we have something like that right in our midst. Thank you so much. So my guest today is David Barnett, and he is an artist himself. He has a beautiful gallery at 1024 East State Street, which, as I always say, is really, really right across the street, kitty corner to my um, home. And they're open Tuesday through Friday from 11 to 530, and Saturday is 11 to 5, which is one of my favorite days to go. You can go look at his collections at www.barnettgallery.com. And again, they have uh, something fantastic. And if you've been to my office, you know that I also love the African art and have a whole gallery myself. And that's the Dance of Life. And it's out of Africa beyond January 8th through April 20th. Encourage you to stop in. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we also Listen, we always listen. And you can go to ellenbecker.com if you would like a replay of David's interview. And I say, have a great weekend. Bye-bye.